We were trying to work on our yard, which was just a mess. Couldn't get, you know, weeds everywhere and grass and put stuff on it and new seed. Got some stuff to work. And then there was one part where there was this one section that, for whatever reason, it just, it, it would not, the grass just would not grow. It, it would grow for a little bit, it would green up, and then it would start to die off, and we would water it, and we would rake it, and we would put stuff on it to help it grow, and it just kept, it just kept dying. And, and I'm no good at this kind of stuff, so we finally brought somebody in to say, what, you know, we need help with our yard. And the, and the guy said, he, he said, I know exactly what's wrong with that part of your yard. He said, that is... Uh, the grass can't grow there because of what's underneath it. I said, well, what's underneath it? He said, I'll bet you anything. There's a pile of stuff that the construction guys left. And he talked about how some of you are in construction. I'm sure you don't do this. But when houses get built, they got this big pile of stuff. They could either pay to haul it off or they can just bury it somewhere in the yard. And sure enough, they took off the top layer. And underneath there were beverage cans and pieces of concrete and gravel and pieces of wood and nothing was going to grow there nothing because somebody chose to an area that when they redid this and they smoothed over it that they didn't they didn't clean it up there's a one part that didn't get cleaned up and it affected how things were from that and we've been in a series over the last month and today's the end of it that we've called making things right and if you've been with us you know that we have explored If somebody has a longing, which I believe all of us have on some level to say, I wish I could just reset my life. I wish I could just get things settled in my life and in my world. If I could make things right. And we saw how God is willing to do that with us and how he will address our past and how we need to make things right about our past. He will address what's happening in our future. He wants to make things right right now for where we are. And he will give us an opportunity to make things right, to settle where our future is headed. Past, present, and future. And if there's ever a week where it's been more vivid, this is one that is right up there, that you know that we live in a world where the world is not made right. The world does not cooperate. The world is, is wrong. It's living in a state of wrong. So God says, but I can make things right within you. I can make things right between you and I, God says. We've walked through all of that, and now we're going to talk about one more thing that has to do with it. It has to do with the cleanup. Because all, all the part about making things right has been kind of a horizontal type of thing. Where God invites us to say, let me do work on you. Let me set, reset things. Let me bring forgiveness and restoration into your heart and into your world and into your life so that you and I are right. That's a, a vertical kind of rightness. But there's another part of rightness that God talks about when he says, if you want to make things right, you deal with this. And it's a more of a horizontal one. I want to invite you to a story in the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 19 in the Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to look with me. Luke chapter 19. Some of you may have may be familiar with this little story. It's a little song that's done in Sunday school classes about it. Well, let me just read through it, and then we're go- I, I'm going to tell you now that I'm not go- there's, this, this story is actually full of nuance. It's full of rich history. It's got perspective on it about God and his people and nationalism and how people think, view other people and religiosity versus relationship with God. But all we're going to do today is focus on one aspect of this story. Leave the other stuff for another time. One aspect of this, which has to do with making things right. So here's how it goes. Jesus entered Jericho, Luke 19.1. 
and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I'm not going to focus on the fact that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. not going to spend too much time talking about the Pharisees and the people who were accusing him of what it means about having a relationship with a sinner, which is a huge part of the story. What I want to focus on with you is a very, just a significant part. And when God says, I want, to, I want to make things right, I want to invite you to make things right, that includes an aspect of that. Now, I want you to notice something that Jesus says at the end of the story. We're going to start at the end and then work backwards from it. Verse 9, Jesus says this profound statement about Zacchaeus and to him. Today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. This man is, is, is a child of Abraham. People understood what that meant. He was part of the faith community. He's a child of Abraham. Salvation has come to, the, to this house. Based on what? What's going on here? What has transpired that gives us a hint to say that Jesus would make such a profound statement to a man he's just really meant? salvation has come he basically says things have been made right with this man things are right with him on what basis well it starts there's implications from this it starts with the fact that zacchaeus got right with god he did business with god now just again we can talk more about this but it's said about zacchaeus in verse uh, two that he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. There's two, two things that that reveals. It's pretty much all we have to know about this man. That he is considered somebody who is, in, in his society, it, the best, closest thing we got in our, in our society is this guy deals drugs. I mean, that's about the closest, as, as evil as, this is a cocaine dealer. He, the, the reason for that is that, that this guy, would, he's, a, he's in Jerusalem, or I mean, he's in the, the Judea, he's in the, the area of God's people. He's an Israelite, but he is sold out completely to the occupying forces of Rome. The tax collectors represented Rome and they worked among the people. They sold out their own people in order to get money from them. And then they were allowed to charge whatever they wanted for their own benefit. So we know that he's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So he is seen as somebody of just terrible repute, mistrusted. He's a sellout. And he's also very wealthy, which tells us that implies that he has been in the active business of just basically taking from his own countrymen for his own benefit. That is who, who Jesus is dealing with. And he does business with God. Jesus, out of the blue, singles him out and says, relationship with you. I want it. I want you to make, make things right. He comes down and it says, now I'm gonna, there's an implication in this phraseology but it's very, very vivid and part of the story. It's very much in context. 
when it says that after he climbed the tree and he spotted him and called him down, verse 6 says, he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. There's an implication there. That he embraced the person of Jesus. He embraced what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. He probably would not have done this had he not made a decision, I am going to follow this man. Won't dig out all the reasons why that is true sociologically here, but that is the implication of the passage. And it's obvious to the people who are watching that that's true because they accuse Jesus of saying, how can you enter in relationship? How can you give forgiveness and acceptance to somebody like this? So it starts with what with Zacchaeus doing what we have been talking about, about making things right, about seeing that the forgiveness has been offered, that grace is offered to him and responding and welcoming gladly the penalty payer into his life. But then it extends. Why does salvation come to this house? Why does Jesus say that? Well, he, he's referencing that he's welcomed him. But then there's something else that happens. When he's accused, when Zacchaeus is accused of being a sinner, when people say, how could Jesus do with this? Look at what G- Zacchaeus does, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It starts with doing business with God and now it extends to making restitution for the wrong of his life. Zacchaeus probably knew a little bit about the law, the Old Testament law. And I'm just going to show you some samples of it. The Old Testament law had provisions for this. When somebody was wrong and they wanted to make restitution, it said things like this in Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. He must make restitution. In Leviticus chapter 6, it says, when he thus sins and becomes guilty, he must return what he has stolen or taken by extortion, the whole spectrum of what's wrongdoing here, or what was entrusted to him or the lost property he found, or whatever it was he swore falsely about. He must make restitution in full, Pay it back, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it, to all the, give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. This is part of God's way. God says, look, you want to make things right, this is part of it. This horizontal restitution thing. In Numbers chapter 5, the Lord says this to Moses in giving him the law. Say to the Israelites, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty, must confess the sin he's committed. Okay, So there's a, a vertical getting right thing. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it all to the person he has wronged. There's this Old Testament principle about making restitution. It's part of your heart being right. It's part of making things right between you and God is thinking back, circling back and saying, how have I wronged somebody? What can I do about that? How does a heart of repentance come and express itself in restitution? So the New Testament picks up that principle. The New Testament principle is, is very much the same, to initiate, to take responsibility, to initiate action or contact that offers to right what you've wronged. John the Baptist had a phrase for it. He, said, he, he called it fruit in keeping with repentance. In Luke chapter 3, this is, how, this is John the Baptist speaking, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't just say to each other, oh, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. Right? We, oh, we're good with God. Because we're Abraham's children. He goes on to say the children of Abraham are the ones whose lives have been changed, who repent. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There's a godly sorrow that comes into life. You have probably experienced some of it. Some of you just recently. I need to to get right with God. I need to deal with these things in my life. There's a godly sorrow. 
he's going to contrast godly sorrow with this fleshly sorrow. And he says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, getting right. And it leaves no regret. But there's a worldly sorrow. You've seen that too. People regret that they got caught. They, they feel really, really bad about their situation. They feel bad that they're in a, a bad position. There's a worldly sorrow, but it just brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Look what it does. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, meaning I'm so frustrated with what I've done. What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. The New Testament principle is God wants to make things right in your world. Okay, starts vertically. But then extends from a heart of repentance. Not in order to get forgiven by God, but because you're forgiven by God. And evidence of true repentance is you go out, you say, I've got to take responsibility. I've got to find a way to make right what I've wronged as much as I can. Here's, here's what that means in your life and mine. You and I have burned some bridges. Right? There's some bridges you've burned. As soon as I say that, and you think about one, you probably think about why it was justified. Because somebody else did something. Somebody else brought on something. But that bridge has been burned. Regardless how you say the cause happened, that bridge is no longer there. That bridge has been burned between you and somebody else. Some of us have burned some bridges. Some of us have ruined other people's property. Some of us have created loss in somebody else's life. Some of us have left some open wounds in somebody else's heart. When God invites us to make things right, he says, now, we're going to come back to what, let's talk about unfinished business. A true act of God making things right between him and me is that there becomes a willingness in my life to say, I will go back to the horizontal relationships where I've burned those bridges, where I've contributed to the damage that has been done, where I've created loss for someone or wounded someone, and I accept my part of the responsibility for that. I take the lead to deal with that. Jesus talked about it in, in Matthew chapter 5. He says, he's, talk, he's talking to his followers. He says, so if you're standing before the altar in the temple, okay, this is an act of worship. This is like being in, the, in this service right now. You're ready to worship God. If you're standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there. Beside the altar, go, be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Go, make things right. If you have unfinished business, make it right. As much as you are able, you notice in that, that there's urgency about that, right? I mean, if you're right in the middle of even worshiping or serving God, and you realize that there is unfinished business, you go and you make things right as much as you can. Some of us, some of us have left some trash in the yard. Some of us have covered over it. It doesn't show on the surface, but it's underneath there, and it is still affecting somebody's yard. Literally or figuratively, it's still there. So how do you clean it up? There's an enactment to this restitution thing about making things right. 
There's a way you put it into practice. Again, look at verse 8 of this passage. Zacchaeus stood up and he said, okay, look, Lord, here's what, here's what I'm doing. Now, Zacchaeus is not trying to earn his salvation. He's already entered into acceptance of Jesus. People are accusing him. How can you do this? Is this real? Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There is an, there's an aspect of this that is very, very tangible. That says, if I have done something that has negatively affected somebody's income, their stuff, their world, their possessions, then making restitution means I go and I find a way to repay that. I find a way to physically repair it, to monetarily replace it. And then, if I want to take what the Old Testament's print, the principle from the Old Testament, I, I actually try to make it better. I add a fifth to it. I add something to it. This past week, the... Uh, Eastern New Mexico University, the university received a package in the mail. The package did not have a return address. And these days, when people send something with no return address, a lot of caution goes on. But they felt it, they looked at it, and they shook it, and they said, this doesn't feel like it's got anything heavy. It doesn't fit and strike them. So they went ahead and opened it. Whether they should or not, they, they went ahead and opened it. As they opened that package, they, they, this is what they saw. This is what they opened up and saw when they opened it. 16, uh, five packages, 16 roll of 16 rolls of two-ply septic-safe t- tissue, total of 80 rolls of toilet paper. They thought it was a joke. And they looked around in the box, and they found something else. It's a Christmas card. And they opened up the Christmas card, and it had a little Christmas message on it. But there was something written underneath that, and this is what it said. I'm going to read this to you. Here it is. Years ago, when I was a young, immature college student, I took toilet paper from your dormitory as a prank. I apologize for that and offer this case. Now, the next part of this note is the part that didn't surprise me in the least when I saw it. Why does somebody do this? Here's what was written next. Jesus Christ has made such a difference in my life. And it's prompted me to repay for any sins I've done from so long ago. God bless and Merry Christmas. University officials responded and said they just want to say to whomever that is, all is forgiven. See, around here, I don't want to, we don't want to talk about theory. We don't want to just fill you up with nice talk about God and send you on your way, pat you on the head. We want to talk about I want to know, if I want to follow, if I really want to know my creator, if I want to be what he created me to be, if I want things to be, my life to reflect how he designed it to be, what does that look like in real life? What is it, what are the tangible ways that that shows up? This is the tangible way. We can say, get right with God, call on him for forgiveness. Some of you just this past week did that. And you have been eternally forgiven. You have been You've been made a child of God forever. Your sins have been washed clean. God says things are right with us. But if you want to know how, the, how your life should go, you want to know what, how to really fully make things right, we're gonna cle- we need to clear out the trash that got left. And that means you, there's a way, if you can, you tangibly go back to somebody you've wronged, something you've, you have ruptured, something that you've destroyed, and you say, I am going to repay that in a tangible way. 
Now, sometimes tangible restitution can't be made. But sometimes there's, here, here's a principle that God, would, I believe, would give us even from this passage. Direct restitution if possible. Indirect if necessary. What that means is this. Look, look again at verse 8. Do you see two kinds of restitution? Now, this is a guy who's been a chief tax collector, and he has stolen from people. He has, he has charged them far more than what they owe in their taxes just for his own benefit. And it's probably, he probably doesn't have the records to go back and say, I'm going to repay every one of those. But here's what he's going to do. Look again at verse 8. Here and now, I'm just going to give all, half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody about anything, I will pay four times the amount. There's a direct one for the people he's aware People I've cheated, I'm going to go back and I'm going to repay them four times what I chose. But you know what? I've just got a general sense that I need to make things right. I probably, I'm implying this from what he's saying. I can't go back to every individual. I don't know what I took from all of them. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do an indirect restitution. I'm going to just give half of my possessions to the poor in general. Alcoholics Anonymous, which borrows, in their book, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous borrows so much from the Bible. The principles that work there, I believe, are there. They work for them so well, for some of you, because they reflect so much of what God has said in his word. In Alcoholics Anonymous, steps 8 and 9 of the 12-step program includes what is called making amends. Some of you have walked through that. You inventory your life. You go back and you find ways to do it. And they describe three types of amends, direct amends, indirect amends, and living amends. This, this is an example of... Uh, for direct amends, it's, it's very simple. Here's what they say. You, uh, you, you, will, you, will make, uh, you will take personal responsibility in confronting the person who you want to reconcile with. You intimately discuss the reasons why you did what you did and will fix, repay, or repair any physical damage you've caused to the best of your ability. The example it gives is repaying a debt or repairing or replacing broken or damaged items. Then it talks about indirect. Because you know what? I, I, you know what my flesh does? It says, well, yeah, I can't go back and do I can't. I can't remember. I, I mean, I've done so much wrong to so many people. I, I don't remember everything. I don't remember conversations from high school. I don't. Well, I'm okay. Well, I'll just do a general prayer. General forgiveness, God. How about that? Just would you take care of that? And God, well, hang on. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to put it tangible into practice, indirect, indirect ways of making amends. This is what they say about that. Indirect amends are ways to repair damage that cannot be physically undone. If you've committed a crime in the past or are in a situation where you cannot confront the people whom you've offended, there are ways to make amends indirectly. Here's the examples. If you physically assaulted someone or committed theft, a way to indirectly make amends would be to volunteer in a shelter, take part in a program that will directly benefit others who need assistance. Sometimes people who are involved in a drunken driving accident may take a step to become an organ donor. Selfless examples how making indirect amends can help to heal a situation. This is not paying penance. This is not, I got to do so much in order to, to, do th- to feel better about myself. It, penance has been paid. The price has been paid. You have been forgiven for it. But there is still a tangible outlet to say, go and as much as you can, scrape out what the, the trash you left. Find a way to make that right. Direct if possible. Indirect if necessary. There's a verbal and a personal element of this. There's a willingness to accept legal ramifications for it. To say, I will turn myself in. 
whether it's legally to authorities or somebody who I just have offended terribly, I will, I'm going to not wait till I'm exposed. I will go and I will present myself as a guilty party, ready to accept whatever consequences are given for that action because I want to make it right. There's a humility to this. There's no agenda behind it. There's no, there's no defending myself while I explain myself. But it's soft-hearted. And it happens, in God's principles are, this needs to happen without delay. The passage we looked at earlier, Matthew 5, at the moment you recognize that there's unfinished business with somebody, be willing to drop everything and go back and, and do what it takes to make it right. Dan Heist, who is an author, said, when you realize you made a mistake, make amends immediately. It's easier to eat crow when it's still warm. So I was thinking about this. And when I try this to, um, when I come here, I, I want to be somebody who's saying, look, I'm going to let God speak to me too, right? And it's a dangerous thing to ask God, okay, is there somebody, something I need to do, something I've left undone, something came to my mind. It's actually, actually something that happened right here. Um, this summer, I was teaching, I think, in, I think we were in our prophets series, what the prophets would say today. And as an illustration of something, I thought about how I expressed love to my wife. And I, um, as an illustration, I thought about the fact that, and some of you might remember this, that my wife loves lilacs. And so in springtime, they're only out for a little bit. And so I would try to find a way to find lilacs for her. And I mentioned in this story that I've gone sometimes and got, try, found some lilacs. But there have been occasions when... I went to a place that where lilacs were growing. And I did not stop to ask. And I waited till dark of night. And I um, took my little clippers and got out of my car and walked over and filled a bucket or two with lilacs from some people's bushes. I justified it in my head because they have lots and lots of bushes of lilacs. They would never miss some. And I, my illustration point was to say, this is how I try to find ways to express love to my wife. And when we were done, some friends came up to me. And very, very kindly and very gently, they said, I want to check in with you about something. You just told everybody about an example of taking something that was not yours. That crossed your mind? And I said, well, I didn't tell the whole story. I've asked permission several times. I just, there was one that I didn't. They said, yeah, but what example did you give us? You know what? I had to pause. And with them, I said, thank you. No, you're right. That's something I probably need to rethink. And, um, and here's the weird part. I rethought it and asked some friends about it and confessed to the father about it. And then this week, as I'm thinking about this, out of nowhere, that story comes back to my mind. And I say, okay, but that was nothing. That was small. That was insignificant. And God says, by his spirit, I just feel this hand on me. says, do you want to make things right or not? And so, it's my intention 
first chance I get to go back and see what I can do about that. As a matter of fact, if I read, <laughs> if I re- read Matthew 5 right, it says if you're offering your offering in the temple and it hits you that that happens, that somebody has something, that's, there's unfinished business, then stop your offering and go make it right. Now, I want to tell you something important about this. Making things right is not about full justice being enacted. Meaning, it doesn't mean that you're going to be responsible that everyone who was wrong in a situation owns up to what was wrong. It's just your part. Just your part. Most times conflicts have multiple sources of people making mistakes in them. You're not responsible to make it right for that person. You're not responsible to get them to see what they did wrong. You are responsible to own up to your part, to repay your part. And you you might say, yes, yes, but in that conflict, they will feel justified in their actions. Their actions were worse than mine. Look at what the Bible says about this in in Romans chapter 12. This is a, a key principle for this. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it is possible. Look at this phrase. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. As much as it lies within you, it doesn't mean that you're going to go back and you're going to restore that broken relationship. It doesn't mean things will go back to the way they were at one place or one time. In fact, the, the, the National Association of uh, Christian Recovery talks about this. They, they, they said being willing to make amends is different from forgiveness or reconciliation. Forgiveness is a long, difficult, complex process. We do not need to wait until that process is complete before we make amends for the harm we have done. Reconciliation is even a, an even longer and more difficult process. Making amends may be a small part of the process of the restoration of a relationship, but usually it's just one step along a path. Both forgiveness and reconciliation are good goals, and making amends may be an important part of reaching those goals. But it is not reasonable to expect that making amends will result in complete forgiveness or the complete restoration of a relationship. As much as lies within you, you go to ho- uh, motels or hotels, sometimes they have adjoining rooms, and you, you can get something where there's a room next to you, and there's a door between the two rooms. And that door, there are actually two doors there. And we've been in, in environments where we're sharing a, a trip with someone and we kind of had this arrangement that if, our door, if both doors were open, that meant we could pass freely. If only one door is open, it means we're, we're open to it, but on the other side, they're not. You cannot open both doors. You're responsible to keep your door open. Here's a practical thing. Think about what was the last thing you said to a person who you have been at odds with. What were, the last, what were the last phrases they heard you say? What was the tone with which you said them? Making things right might mean going back, not necessarily changing the, what the disagreement about, but making that the last thing they hear you say is a phrase or a tone that at least leaves the door open on your side. It expresses that there is a gentleness about you. There is a willingness to embrace forgiveness in you. That there's a soft-heartedness about you. Make what you, the last thing you said, the tone with which you said it, something that opens that door. Salvation 
has come to this house, Jesus said. God has changed what's happening here. And first part of that was to make things right with God. The second part of that was to make things right with unfinished business. Here's the basic question of the day. Perhaps the whole wrap up this whole series. Is there a repayment that still needs to be made? Is there still a confession that needs to be vocalized? Is there a conversation you need to initiate? Is there a note you need to write? Is there a final cleanup that as much as lies within you would make things right? And God prompts you to do that. The response is that he's looking for is whatever it takes, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to make that offer. And like Zacchaeus, we say it is said about a salvation comes to our home. What is that for you? Would you pray with me? And I'm going to ask the spirit of God to take it from here. First of all, God, I want to say thank you for so many people in the hearing of this voice right now who have come to your son and have responded, who have laid our past issues or our present situation or even our future hope of heaven and fear of hell, and we've brought it to you and the, the people in this room who have embraced the love and the forgiveness that only you can give. Thank you for that. Thank you that you did everything it takes to make things right between you and us. And we praise you for that. We've celebrated that all day. And now, Lord, I want to ask you that you would unleash your spirit in this room to do in our hearts what, whatever you want to do so that if there is something, if there's a way to clean out the trash from the yard somewhere, if there's a f- conversation that needs to happen just so the tone is different this time, if there's something that needs to be owned up to, that you, we would, you would help us to be aware of what that is and know that justice is in your hands. Whether or not that person ever comes to the place where they recognize their issues is not what this is about. That we would simply do as much as lies within us to live at peace with everyone. Perhaps, God, before, this, before people leave this building today, there need to be some people in the room who actually, instead of going out the door, they, maybe they need to move towards someone else in the room. Or maybe there's somebody who needs to make a phone call this afternoon. Maybe there's some place that we need to visit. Would you continue to expose that and make us people who can say we have been made fully right because salvation has come to this home? Thank you for giving us a way so that you've reset the table for us and we can be free. We praise you for that. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.